<laughs> All right, well, we're going to transition into our, our message here where we uh, get into the Word of God. So would you pray with me? Uh, Holy Spirit, we come now to uh, be encouraged, to be uh, transformed and changed by the Word of God. Uh, those are two powerful things, the, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that as we sit here, as we listen, uh, that we would be transformed uh, to be more like Jesus and to know you more and more and better each day. Uh, we pray this, God, in your son's precious name, Jesus, amen. I'm going to go a little dark here, but if you had only a few days left to live, you knew that somehow your end was coming, what would you do? Would there be some you know, fun things, some, some family things, you know, maybe depending on your age, it might depend on what you would do, like maybe if you were younger, really athletic sports, like um, amusement park, maybe you would want to spend a lot of family time or just be with friends. Maybe there would be like things that I would absolutely not do in those last days, right? You can kind of think of like, okay, I'm going to try and not sin for like two days, right? Or I would try to, I don't know, maybe you're like, I'm just going to go out and get drunk or, or not. I'm not going to get drunk or I don't know. Maybe you would go to church, right? Because you should come to church in those last few days. I don't know. In Jesus' last week of his life, he knew he's going to die. He knew he's going to the cross to not an easy death. He spend some time teaching, um, he talks about communion, but he also takes time to pray. There's a whole chapter, John 17, where Jesus prays with his disciples, with them, and he, and he prays about his upcoming crucifixion, uh, prays for his current disciples, um, but, but most importantly for us today that we're going to talk about is he prays for you. Now, he doesn't literally use your individual names, but as you're going to see, he prays for future believers, you and me. It's always interesting to me to kind of listen into my kids' prayers sometimes, right? They, they, they pray for like a owie that they got, or they're really into like not having nightmares, of praying for good dreams, but it's even more important to listen to what Jesus prays for us and to maybe learn from and inform our own prayers on that. And so to read our passage this morning, I'm going to invite up Morgan, Morgan Davis, if she wants to come on forward. We're going to be in John chapter 17. Verses 20 to 23, and having different people read from our passages for this sermon series. And so, Morgan, if you'd read for us John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me. I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you 
sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Thanks, Morgan. So this morning we're continuing uh, this shorter four-week sermon series called From Crisis to Christ. Uh, this series is looking at different issues that have uh, arisen or maybe gotten worse uh, in the last couple of years, at least from, from my perspective. Uh, and my goal in this, this whole series is to really help show you that whatever crisis you might go through in your life, the ultimate answer, the hope for all ways for us is Christ. Our, our topic this morning is from division to unity. In Jesus' prayer in John 17 that you just heard from, he prays that we would be one. I mean, just think about that. Out of all the prayers, out of all the things that Jesus, in the last days of his life, that he could have prayed for, for us today in 2022, he prays for unity, prays for us to be one. I mean, there are so many things that he could have prayed for, right? He could have prayed for world hunger to end. He could have prayed for war to cease. He could have prayed for Liverpool to beat Chelsea yesterday in the FA Cup, which nobody here cares about, but they did. Or for Twitter not to be invented. Or, I mean, just like spiritual protection force. All the things that he could have prayed for, Jesus prays for our unity today. It's almost like he knew what our world would be like today, right? So, this morning I have two main points. First point is this. There are lots of issues to divide us today. And you'll see as we go through this that point one is going to be a lot smaller. Point two is longer and it has subpoints and then subpoints and those subpoints. Okay, so we'll just we'll, that's that's where we'll get. There are lots of issues today to divide us. That's the the crisis, the the issue that I have seen over the last couple of years. Uh, I would say that the the world, our flesh, even uh, the devil all desire to divide whether it's you know divide us from each other divide us from from god division is the name of the game uh, for a sinful culture that's led by satan you could talk about it in terms of conflict today or dissension uh, people splitting separating um, divorce whether in families or uh, divorcing from each other in, in different discussions. We, we live in a divided culture. And it, it feels like, I don't have like hard evidence on this. I'm not like a sociologist, I'm just a pastor. But it, it feels like even as a country, we are more divided than we were, you know, even like 20 years ago. And I, here are some, some quotes that I, I found to kind of just uh, re reiterate that or, or that it feels that way. Uh, this is... You know, back talking about 2020, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that America is deeply divided. In a year dominated by the COVID-19 pandemic, responses to the crisis diverged along party lines. 
Another one said, it's no longer just Republican versus Democrat or liberal versus conservative. It's the 1% versus the 99. It's rural versus urban, white versus others. Climate doubters clash with believers. Bathrooms have become battlefields. Borders are battle lines, sex and race, faith and ethnicity. The melting pot seems to be boiling over. Why is America so divided? Researchers find fake news about controversial topics contributes to political polarization. Despite our fractured and factious states, we have always managed to rise above them and preserve the things we hold in common and therefore keep America. But why do we seem so far apart today and will our pulling in opposite directions ultimately sink us? Just some quotes and headlines that I found over the last couple of years. And there have been plenty of things in the last couple of years that have divided us, topics, right? From climate change to uh, gun policy to bolstering the country's military strength, um, masks. Uh, you know, I've heard on both sides, I've heard wearing masks are harmful to children's development and health, uh, and it, you know, it, it doesn't help us with immunities, and so um, you know, it, it can save lives to not wear masks, or not wearing masks is harmful in itself, and that can save lives, or racial issues that we've dealt with as a country. Can we, should we support Black Lives Matter as Christians? Is it okay to riot and use violence to get a message across? I mean, critical race theory. I mean, all of these things might be just kind of making you feel uncomfortable right now that I'm, I'm like mentioning them in church. Vaccinations. Are they ethical or moral? Should everyone be vaccinated? Isn't that what Jesus would do? These are, these are a lot of things that I've heard. Should children get vaccinated? Should it be a choice? Even in our mission trip that we're, we're, we're going on, we've talked about should people going on the mission trip be vaccinated? The president, uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden. I found a poll that was before the election, and it says both Trump and Biden supporters say if the other wins, it would result in lasting harm to the country. Just think of the divide on both sides there. You know, I think, I think we've even seen some shifts in the last, you know, even 20 years that from this, this is my opinion, to this is my truth, and you need to believe it also. Now, <laughs> we, we've done this sermon series now for the last two weeks and this week, and I, I'm just going to be honest with you, this is always the least favorite part of my sermon. This beginning part where I'm sharing kind of my opinions on what I've seen the last couple of years because one opinions are dangerous today <laughs> we share them on social media and different places and it becomes a matter of battleground but two I don't believe that my purpose my job description is to share my opinion but share the truth of the gospel and who Jesus Christ is so that is all point one this is what I've seen Last couple of years, there's been division, there's been things that have been dividing us and make it hard even as Christians. So how does Christ help us in this? 
Remember I said earlier that out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, he prayed for our ongoing unity. Jesus prayed for our unity. This whole prayer in John 17, he, he prays for um, his upcoming crucifixion. He calls it his glory that's about to happen. He prays for his disciples to be uh, sanctified. But he keeps saying in these, what, four verses that we heard from, John 17, 20 to 23, that they, meaning us, that Christians today, yesterday, tomorrow, that they may be one. And he used this analogy we'll talk about a little bit too, that just as the Father and as Jesus are one, that they might be one. Or he talks about later on that the glory, God, that you've given to me, I gave to them that they might be one. And then later on he says that they might be perfectly one in verse 23. You see that repeated word, one, one, one. That is Jesus' desire for us today, that we would be one. This call for unity is then picked up throughout the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4 that I, I read during my prayer earlier says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 12 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. What I mean is that each of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Peter, or I follow Christ. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Look, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. And two more passages from the book of Romans. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, 5 to 7. He's praying this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this last verse here. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Jesus prays for our oneness, our unity as believers. But I want to just unravel what does that actually mean and how do we do that? Why should we do that even today? So these next three kind of subpoints, if you're kind of following along, are going to take that apart. W what does this mean? Um, why? Because you just talked about why a lot. Why should we be unified? And then how 
really practically, how do we be unified today as believers? So first, what, what does he mean by this oneness? What actually is this unity? And so true Christian unity is agreement about the gospel. And I'll show you where that is in the text here. But I, this last week, I was, was studying over at uh, Panera. And um, I just had like a bunch of books laid out, my computer up with my Bible software, my Bible out, my coffee. And I thought, oh, this is kind of a, a cool picture. I'll, I'll put it on Facebook. And I you know, put it up there because I just, uh, sometimes I want to show you kind of my, my preparation study and how you know that I'm praying for you and preparing to preach for you. Um, and I just kind of put the question up about on my page, like, you know, what, what does that mean today to be unified as, as Christians? There's, there's a lot of different ideas about what that might mean. What does that mean for us today? Here, here's some responses that I got. So just be careful. If you respond to my Facebook comments, you might get read over the sermon. To me, it means loving and caring for each other despite our differences. That we disagree on things with love and compassion, not hate. We understand that even if what someone else thinks is wrong, it doesn't make them any less. And we should show love to them even if that they think is extremely offensive to us. Like Jesus showing love to people who killed him. Or Christians are human and sinners. Christ was both God and human, perfect in every way. The early church was full of humans as it is today. We may not always agree on how to worship and live, but I believe we are all united in believing that salvation only comes through belief in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and forgiveness of sins. Or this last one I'll read here. Um, in John 17, we get the privilege of listening in on Jesus' conversation with God. Jesus knows he's going to the cross within days. Could have prayed for anything like courage, strength, or as I may have asked, feel no pain. But no, he prays for us at Lighthouse to set aside our differences and selfishness to be united as Christians through God's word and as others have pointed out ultimately this love. And ending there with, let us at LCC be an example and bear our differences in worldly selfishness and be an answer to Jesus' prayer. What does Jesus really mean when he says, I want them to be one, to be perfectly one? I want them to be one. I, I put some qualifiers there in that sentence, right? True Christian unity. I think those are all very important. It is Christian unity we are going for. We can be united about a lot of things, right? We can be united about uh, politics. We can be united about our sports team. But we are to be united as Christians. This is what Jesus is praying about, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And this is the really most important part, I think, is that it is true Christian unity. We, we, we could strip down everything here at our church, you know, to, and, and try to uh, uh, have this unity with other denominations, right, with uh, Methodists and Presbyterians and, and, and Mormons, right, they all talk about Jesus in some way. Um, we could all find out kind of, okay, what songs we do that are similar. Um, maybe we all could, like, take communion together. W would that be true, right, Christian unity? I'm, 
I'm reading a book right now that's a, it's a, 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 just a biography on a guy named J.I. Packer. He wrote um, an amazing book called Knowing God that I think every Christian should read. But even in 1970s, as I've gotten to in his biography, he gets in trouble with um, someone that I love and respect called Martin Lloyd-Jones. I, as a nerdy pastor, like I have a, a shirt with his face on it, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I, I wear this in public and people are like, oh, who's that? And I'll be like, oh, that's Martin Lloyd-Jones. They're like, okay. I was like, he's a pastor in, the, in World War II in England. I, <laughs> I, I went to a conference a few weeks ago. It was a nerdy pastor conference. And I had people like come up to me when I was wearing that shirt like, oh, I know who that is. And it gave me joy. But all of this to say, those two guys back in 1970s disagreed on what it meant to be united in Christ. One said, oh, we should have fellowship with other denominations. One said, no, we can't do that. Jesus' prayer for oneness, I think, comes from the context of his entire prayer. Look back with me at the beginning of his prayer, starting in verse 1. I want to emphasize to you what he is praying for. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. My glory is coming, I'm going to the cross, he has the power of eternal life. Verse 3, and this eternal life, this is it, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is his whole purpose. This is his whole mission. He's going to go be glorified on the cross that people might have eternal life only through him by knowing him. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you've given to me and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And here's, here's what he's talking about. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Notice that phrase, word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, that they have received them, and have come to know in truth and I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus starts with the message. This is the message. I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to the cross. I can offer eternal life for people who believe in me. I'm going to pass that message, these words on to my disciples. They might believe and know the truth. And then follow me into verse 14, that word, word, the message comes up again. I have given them your word, this message of the gospel, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then into our part of the prayer in verse 20, I don't ask for these only, these disciples of mine, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus begins his prayer by saying, God, you've 
given me a glory and I'm going to go glorify you on the cross that I might offer salvation and eternal life to people who believe in that. And I'm going to pass that word, that message on to these disciples as he's been doing for a couple years now, that they might believe and trust in that. And then, and then those disciples will pass it on to other people and pass it on to other people that it then has come to us, this word that we might believe in. It is unity around the message of the gospel of Jesus that he's talking about here. It's so easy to divide today, even for Christians, on lots of issues. But if we become unified, become one, as Jesus is praying about here, on the gospel, the, the message, the word that he passed on down, even to you and me, that changes everything. Let me try and illustrate this, what, what I mean. Um, so I've asked Marshall and Jim to help me out. So if you guys can, okay, Marshall, you come over here to the steps, and Jim, you come over here to these steps. Unity sometimes can look like us just turning toward each other, right? And in my illustration here, there's like stuff in your way. You know, you kind of stumble, you can look at each other. I mean, do you guys even know each other? No. Well, you're here at church, you're worshiping together. There's something to that. But, yeah, you can introduce each other. That's Jim. This is Marshall. Marshall, that's Jim. But what happens instead as believers is when they, instead of turning toward each other, uh, they turn toward the cross. So both kind of orient yourselves toward the cross. And now I want you guys both to take a couple steps forward toward the cross. So let's imagine that both of them on their own, they are spending time in the Word of God. All right, take a few more steps closer to the cross. Uh, and they're, you know, they're worshiping on Sunday mornings. They're coming, they're singing the theology of these worship songs. Um, take a few more steps closer if you can. There's things in the way. Um, you know, they are evangelizing, bringing friends, family to church or house, Bible study, all those things. Notice they are closer now together. This is the idea of what Jesus says, is that when we become unified about the gospel, we are unified together. Thank you, guys. You guys can have a seat. This is the unity that Jesus is praying for us, talking to us about. It's not unity about, about one person or something else to be agreement about on the gospel itself. And he gives us this crazy uh, analogy, this crazy high bar and says that I want you to be unified as I am one with the Father. This is deep theological into the Trinity theology here where he's saying just as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are, are, are one, that's how close I want these believers and Christians to be. That is the idea of this unity. One of the really cool things about this whole passage this is John 17. I, I encourage you, like, this next week, take this passage, like, print it off and circle every repeated word. There's I mean, words like glory and oneness, but 
one of the words that you're going to find repeated in our passage, 20 to 23, is the word that. It is all over this. Starting in verse 21, that they may all be one, that they also may be in us, so that they would, the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me. It's this idea of purpose, of in order that. I mean, Jesus is praying this for a purpose. He wants us to be one, to be united, for something to happen. Here's the, the why part of this. Why should we be unified? And I think he gives us five reasons in this text of why he wants us to be unified. Verse 21, he wants us to be unified, to be one, because it will give us communion with God. This, this kind of unity will create communion with God. Look at this in verse 21. This is, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. Uh, he's praying that they might all be one, just as you, Father, and me, and I, and you, that they also may be in us. He's, he's praying for our unity that then develops into this relationship that we are unified in the Trinity, in the Godhead. Not that we become God, but that it is this crazy relationship, fellowship with God himself. I think about, like, as a family, when you have a child, that child, if it is a good, loving family, gets to come into this amazing relationship, to be a part of this husband-wife love family, that we get to unfamily become in communion with God, with this oneness, with this fellowship. This kind of unity also creates believers. <laughs> There's something crazy that when a church, when Christians, when believers are one and united, it creates this in verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I found this quote that says, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. The converse is also true. Unity in the church builds belief in the world. Your disunity or your unity will have large consequences. It will also create perfection. He says in verse 23, I and them and you and me, so they may become perfectly one. There's this finishing, complete, a goal, perfection to our oneness that, that will only be accomplished in uh, the end times and we get into heaven, right? I didn't purposely do this this morning, but I realized this after I put this shirt on. Uh, I always think of this shirt as my going to get fired shirt. <laughs> um, this is uh, the shirt that I wore um, about four years ago when our church was going through some conflict and I came to a meeting where I was told that I was going to be fired. And it was all kinds of long story short things that happened with um, authority and leadership and disagreements and those kind of things. But even as a pastor, 
there are people that disagree with me and don't like me sometimes, even Christians. But I am overjoyed at the thought of my unity with people that I may disagree with as Christians in heaven. Even people that may not like me or, or what, but if we are believers and if you have people in your own life that are believers that you don't always disagree with, but you disagree with it, you can have perfect unity with them in heaven. Last two points about why it's about knowledge. Verse 23, knowledge about Jesus and knowledge about God's love for us. It's similar. He says, you know, I want them to, uh, to know about Jesus, know about that you sent me, not just to believe, but to, to know this. There's an element of certainty here, but also to know about God's love for us. So that the world may know, in verse 22, that you sent me and that they may know that you love them even as you loved me. See, when outside watching world sees us united, loving each other, helping each other out, see something different about that, there's genuine love in our relationships, that that has to be supernatural to know that it comes from God. Finally, finally is how. How do we do this? I just put this quote from Ephesians 4.3. It says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We have to be eager for it, right? We have to want it, desire it. I, I fear sometimes when I hear things that are, that are kind of gossipy or more opinionative, that it, is it more eager to unite or more eager to divide and to maintain that, to work on that, to work for forgiveness and reconciliation and to work on relationships for the unity that the Spirit provides. And so here's just some things that maybe would be helpful for you. Pray for it, like Jesus did. Use his prayer here. Pray for unity today in our church, in our Christian world, between our churches. You want to be united? Love Jesus. Just as that illustration showed before, if you are loving Jesus, growing closer to him, it will unite you with other people. One, pray like Jesus. Two, love Jesus. Three, love people. And four, before you speak or post or tweet or whatever you do, ask yourself, will this bring glory to God? Will this promote the gospel? Will this divide or unite? Or if you find something you've done that's not good, ask, do I need to apologize or seek forgiveness? One last verse I want to read to you is from Psalm 133. It's a whole psalm. It's only three verses, but it's all about unity. And it gives us this sweet picture. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. That is my hope, my, my plea, my, my prayer, as Jesus prayed, that we would experience this kind of unity in a divisive world that brings us goodness, 
and joy that's only brought about by knowing Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is not an easy thing to live in this world today where there are divisions between families, between parents, between friends. There's divisions on the news, there's divisions in schools, there's divisions in churches, but we want to pray like Jesus did, that we pray for unity, for oneness, and we might be have this, this laser focus of the gospel that would unite us. The good news that Jesus, you came for sinners like me, and that it's not up to me to be good enough or to go to church enough, or to give enough, or to pray enough, but it's all about what you did, Jesus. And we once again put our faith, our trust in you, Jesus, for who you are, perfectly God and man, and for what you did on the cross, to take our sins away, and then to come back, be resurrected, that our sins were left there dead on the cross. Father, unite us, help us to sing with joy, and passion for who you are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.